Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to Hump Day, middle of the week, downhill slide to Firearms Friday. It's good. Good. I could see it from here. It's good stuff. But we got a bunch of things to talk about today and uh, it's a... It's a good uh, it's a good day for it. It's a good day for it. A little cool, a little rainy, a uh, little flood warning going on in the South Central Anchorage area. Uh, you know, lightning storms in Fairbanks, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. I mean, it's <clears throat> all kinds of stuff. But here we are, uh, ready to go, and uh, and happy to happy to hit it today on this most beautiful of days. Um, we have got some guests lined up for us this morning, including here in the first hour, senior vice presidents and senior policy director for the committee for a responsible federal budget. Mark Goldween is going to be joining us. Um, and, uh, we're going to be talking with him about the latest and greatest, the OMB reports, what's happening with things like Social Security, kind of an overall budget view, uh, the fact now that we're going to be with the massive amount of debt that we're taking on. Normally, we don't deal with federal issues, but this was important enough that I thought we should at least give everyone an overview of what's happening and what's going on. Um, and uh, normally, we would talk with Maya McGinnis, but she is out and Mark is uh Mark is in to uh, give us the uh, give us the rundown here. He guides and conducts a, a research on a wide array of topics related to fiscal policy and the uh, federal budget. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to say about mad about the madness that is the federal budget right now. It's a it's a hot 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 mess, and we look forward to seeing what Mark has to say here in about the next. Uh, well, we'll be joining him in about 10, 12 minutes or so here as we uh, as we get ready to go. In hour two, we're supposed to be joined by State Senator Mike Schauer, and we should be hearing from him and talking with him about, well, I, I guess kind of upcoming plans and maybe overall policy agendas or things like that. Just kind of a little bit of everything related to state business, and we might we might hang out and do something. I don't know. We we may. We may wander off the beaten path today. That's that's one of those one of those things. So we'll see what he has to say, and uh, we'll go on we'll go on from there. So uh, that's the plan, and we're uh, we're going to stick to it. Meanwhile, we also have some headlines, uh, some interesting stories, some bizarre stories, and also the good news. The good news. I've got some good news today too. 
because I thought, why not? I mean, to counteract some of the, because there's some there's some bad news in here too. So I thought maybe we just counteract it and uh, and have it on and to, you know do all that stuff. So I guess that's it. I guess we should just I guess we should just get on get on with it, Dukes. You're you're waffling. I'm not, but I mean, I'll I'll jump into it here. We'll we'll get into it with both feet and start things going on. So as I mentioned, um, southeast. Um, well, it's been raining across the entire s- southern part of the state, and up into into Fairbanks as well, with all the lightning storms and everything else. Um, but southeast has been hit uh, pretty hard. Uh, one to three inches of rain uh, is what they're predicting by the end of this week, going into the weekend. And a flood watch is now in effect for Anchorage and Eagle River from 10 p.m. last night through this morning. Uh, they got excessive runoff that could raise the water levels on streams and creeks uh, with low-lying urban areas prone to flooding, also a concern. There could see up to two inches of rain from this storm. And it was it was going pretty hard last night. So <clears throat> we'll see what that looks like. But, uh, you know, keep your... Keep your your rubber booties around and do you know <laughs> Macintoshes and uh, and uh, and uh, wellies right that what they say Macintoshes and wellies for the your boots and your coat and do all that kind of stuff so that's uh, that's one of the big news things um, an interesting piece of news for those who have been following um, kind of the give and take and the tug and pull in the school systems here especially down in the South Central area. Dr. Ben Carson is coming to Alaska, and he's going to be in Anchorage next week to speak at um, the Republican Women's Club. He's also speaking at, um, oh, he's also speaking at one of the churches. Uh, he's speaking at the Cornerstone Church and uh, on August the 22nd as well. Um, and they were arranging for him to speak at a school in Mountain View, uh, which is in Anchorage. And Mountain View is one of the lower income kind of communities, one of the more disadvantaged, you know, kind of communities uh, in the in the state. And he was a kid once and attended a school just like Mountain View, you know, kind of and again in a disadvantaged neighborhood. And of course, now he's a brain surgeon, internationally recognized uh, speaker and you know uh, was was the uh, was the Department of Housing and Urban Development Czar uh, uh, Secretary during uh, the Trump administration. He ran for president. I mean, the guy's done a lot of things. So anyway, he was supposed to be um, speaking at Mountain View. The apparently um, he was uh, um, apparently it was an arrangement that had been made with the school principal. That somehow he had some connections with some of the people that were bringing him up. And so he had invited Dr. Carson to come to the school and have an assembly and speak to the students. And then Dr. Jarrett Bryant, who is the superintendent for the Anchorage School Districts, uh, when he learned of this visit, he personally intervened and disallowed it. Now, there's really no, I mean, a must read who's writing on this says, I mean, does says that there's basically no comment from anybody on it, but the sources are basically saying that he personally got involved at this point. Now, is it because that Carson worked as a secretary uh, for Trump or because he's recently written a book <clears throat> called Crisis in the uh, Crisis in the Classroom, 
which he wrote with uh, Armstrong Williams and uh, civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump. So this is a book written by three people from three different points of view politically who all felt the same, that the school system was failing the children. And if they're failing the children, they're failing the nation. That's kind of what they that's kind of what they're saying here. Um, is it because he wrote a book that might be critical of what education is doing? I, I mean, I just don't know. But it seems a shame to not allow the kids to at least see a role model in somebody like Dr. Ben Carson, who came from very humble beginnings in, again, a disadvantaged school in a disadvantaged area, to be, and then became not only a successful brain surgeon, which if that wasn't enough, the first man to ever separate conjoined twins who were conjoined at the brain, right? Uh, not only a brilliant neurosurgeon, but also, again, ran for president, uh, you know, was was the secretary of HUD. Did all, I mean, it just seems like it, it almost seems petty at this point. I mean, wouldn't you want disadvantaged, you know, kids who live in the poorer neighborhoods to see somebody like that who's a who's a role model, even if they don't get it, you know, because they're grade schoolers? I mean, wouldn't but wouldn't it? I don't know. I don't, it just seems again to me, it just seems if it all turns out to be true. And of course, nobody would respond to comment from must read. She's relying on all these sources and everything. But if it turns out to be true, that just seems to be petty. Absolutely petty and ridiculous. Um, so that's going on down in Anchorage. And and he's going to be here, by the way, on the 22nd of August to speak at both the Republican um, the Republican Women's Club and also um, at the, uh, uh, what did I say, Cornerstone Church? Yeah, the Cornerstone Church. So there's opportunities if you want to go see Dr. Carson speak, then there you go. There's that. Then there's this story out of Fairbanks, which is just kind of weird and bizarre. And uh, based on everything that just happened down here in Anchorage, I don't know if you heard about the National Guards woman who went, quote unquote, missing and then turned out that her husband actually killed her. And I mean, it's a whole thing down here. It's 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 a sad, sad situation. But then we have this weird thing going on up in Fairbanks, two Tennessee residents who were visiting Fairbanks were reported missing last week after not checking out of their vacation rental or making their return flight home. Jonas Bear, 50, and Cynthia Hovispain, 37, were reported missing on Saturday to police who called these troopers and the wildlife troopers to help investigate the case. According to the troopers, the couple's luggage was still in their Fairbanks vacation rental. The police found it there. On Saturday evening, they then located their rental Jeep out of Chena Hot Springs Resort. But no sign of the of the couple. No sign of the couple at all. So they began searching the area with helicopters, small drones and UAVs, and on four-wheelers and ATVs. <clears throat> Chena Hot Springs Resort, Wilderness Search and Rescue, and Paws Search and Rescue Dogs were assisting with the search. And they have not found anything. This is like where you want the X-Files music to play in the background, right? I mean, it's just weird. You know, I guess if they just both vanished off into the uh, off into the wilderness. I mean, I hope they're okay, but that's just kind of a bizarre thing. That um, I mean, you find their luggage, you find their car, you find it's just weird. Unless there's bear snatchers out there, 
who've been waiting, you know, like a far side comic or something, waiting to snatch people out on the way, on the way out to their car from the hot springs. But anyway, if you have any information, people are encouraged to contact uh, Fairbanks police at uh, 450-6500 and answer any questions. But yeah, just kind of another one of those bizarre, weird occurrences. But you know, that happens here in Alaska probably more often than in many other places, simply because of the the vastness, the geographic vastness of what we're dealing with here. Um, although China Hot Springs Resort is kind of still inside civilization, right? It's not like it's way out on the Elliott Highway or something like that. So kind of a kind of a weird deal. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's that. What is there? Do I have anything else? I'll, I'll run this. This is an interesting story. This is a piece of good news. Uh, humans apparently are hardwired to feel good when performing acts of kindness towards others. This is a new study that just came out. Uh, it sought to test method, uh, methods of what they call cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a non-pharmaceutical treatment for depression and anxiety that's proven to work through confronting patterns of thought and behavior that lead to depressive or anxious thoughts. So the methods included uh, that they used to with two different groups of folks included random acts of kindness, such as buying a stranger's coffee at Starbucks, baking cookies for the mailman, planning fun activities, uh, cognitive appraisal, just doing all these different things, just being, be kind, love one another, right? I mean, this is the, this is the kind of thing. So what they found was the, the participants uh, recorded the variety of feelings as measurements before the study, during the study, and then five weeks after the study. And they concluded that uh, there were improved measurements in all of the groups. The random acts of kindness group had a much bigger impact on positive cognition and emotions early on, which tapered off as a study period advance, but became stronger over time in the long run. Uh, another surprise, they said, was just how easy it was for the random acts of kindness group to perform those acts of kindness. Like we're hardwired to be kind to one another. And it's almost like maybe it's against our nature to not be kind to each other. <laughs> it's just so the uh, one of the people who were running the group said, I was surprised it was not a particularly hard sell. The people in the acts of kindness group had a better uptake in some ways than people in other groups. And uh, they said the acts of uh, kindness acts is a particularly important finding because it necessitates a connection with other people, which, again, I would say the powers that be not necessarily fans of us having connections with other people. They, in fact, want to divide us in all different kinds of ways. So, you know, find an act of kindness today. Do something nice for somebody. I don't know, hold a door, walk an old lady across the street, buy somebody a cup of coffee. Have a smile for somebody. Say good morning. Do something. That seems like it seems like that's a good thing to do. And apparently, it not only makes them feel better, it makes you feel better, and it, it improves your mental health. I like it. I like it a lot. All right, we got more coming up. Uh, Mark Goldwine from uh, the Citizens, uh, excuse me, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. Up next. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. 
Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Um, You guys are going to have to be patient with me for a second because this next guest can't uh, participate via our video um, um, but via our video link because he's apparently uh, technically on vacation and not only has he not shaved, <laughs> he says the internet's pretty spotty where he's at. So we're going to uh, we're gonna try and get him um, on the telephone here and we'll start off with what's okay. Making sure we got that. And we'll see if we can get him on the phone. Hey, look at that. Phone's working. And it didn't snap out this morning. This is speaking. Good morning, Mark. It's Michael Dukes calling in Alaska. Hi, how are you? Doing real good. Doing real good. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time out. I didn't realize you were on vacay when this whole thing no started. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time out to... Happy. Happy to do it. Yeah. Um, is it gold wine or gold ween? I mean, how do you pronounce your last name? Gold, on it? gold wine. Gold you got it right the first time. Okay. I didn't yep. want to didn't want to screw it up. It's always embarrassing. So right you now, be the first. I've, I'm sure. Just don't call me late for supper, right? Um, <laughs> so uh, it's just you and me and 35 of our closest friends on Facebook and YouTube right now. We're waiting to rejoin the radio. We're in the commercial break, and so we're going to uh, we'll be rejoining the radio here in just a couple minutes. Um, and get ready to talk. Um, and what? I, and I didn't really tell Kim uh, the article that was in the email that we were talking about was the one that was uh, um, basically discussing the uh, the Senate appropriation and the trust fund solvency and some other things. I kind of would like because you are uh, Brad Keithley tells me you're like the guy to talk about when it comes to boring down into economics. But I kind of want to talk about an overview that the listeners might understand, especially in regards to like the, uh, the, you know, CBO's latest, uh, latest, uh, couple releases about what's happening with the overall debt, the expenditures, you know, what the debt repayment is going to look like as a percentage of DDP, what's happening with social security, things that people can kind of wrap their sure. brain around. You know, so if we can do that, that would be great. And uh, I'll do my best. Okay. Well, it's good. Um, I'm looking looking forward to it. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on hold. You're still gonna hear me, but I'm gonna put you on hold for a second here while I go back to the chat room because we simulcast the show on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. And I'm just going back here to see what some of the uh, what some of the uh, comments are in the chat room here this morning. So uh, let me do that while we wait for the commercial break to run. And we start with good morning, good morning, good morning to everybody. Uh, my dad's in. Uh, thank you, dad. Uh, happy birthday. Yep. Everybody says that. thank you very much. All the happy birthdays are very nice. I appreciate that. Um, um, love me some Ben Carson. Somebody says, yeah, I mean, it just seems that just seems again, it just seems petty that even if you disagreed politically with Ben Carson, that you wouldn't at least allow him to go to a one of the poorer, disadvantaged schools in the in the community and not speak because that's where he came from to show it just doesn't make any sense. Um, all right, uh, we say it's 
Yep. Okay. It's Tim's birthdays. It's Tim's son's birthday too. Well, happy birthday to Tim's son. Congratulations. Great people are born in on this day in August. Not me, but I mean, great people are born. <laughs> this is the day that Elvis Presley died. Or no, it was Marilyn Monroe. One of the two. I can't remember. You know, it's one of those things. Um, the education system says Anthony can't afford to let someone tell all the frogs in the pot that the water is getting warm. Come on now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bizarre and Fairbanks say it isn't so. The Alaska Triangle, says Jim. Yeah, it's the Alaska Triangle. That is right in the middle of the Alaska Triangle. It's, um, I don't know. Okay, let's, uh, let's, get, let's get into this and uh, jump into it <clears throat> with Mark Goldwine from the Committee for Responsible Federal uh, Budget. We're going to be talking with him and getting kind of the basic rundown. Let's, uh, let's get it going and jump right into it right now. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-Based, Free Thinking Radio. Welcome back to the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We're ready to go here and diving into it with our first guest of the day. Mark Goldwine is a senior vice president and senior policy director for the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, where he guides and conducts research on a huge variety of topics related to fiscal policy and the federal budget and more. Now, normally we don't cover a lot of federal uh, issues on this show, Uh, And that is strictly because I feel like in a lot of ways we just can't affect them. And so I find it an exercise in frustration. But this is an important enough issue that uh, I think we should be I think we should be talking about this uh, more and more. So let's bring Mark on the program to discuss it further, kind of get an overview of what's going on and what uh, CFRFB thinks that we should do, or CRFB thinks we should do on this. Good morning, Mark. Thank you for coming on board. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's. Uh, I got to tell you, it. I'll, I'll. I'll tell you why we don't. We don't normally deal a lot with national politics on this show. This. This show is very Alaska centric, because I feel I covered it for years. I covered a lot of the like the nationwide stuff, but I found it to be an exercise in frustration because there's people like you. There's 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 there are tons of people out there who are telling. You know, the train, the bridge is out. Please stop the train. The bridge is out. And these politicians are like, let's just shovel coal to it. It'll be fine. We'll we'll jump the gap, you know, and and it's it's an exercise in frustration and futility. But I think sometimes we also need to educate people because they're just a little blase about it as well. So um, we're we're kind of in some trouble here, Mark. I mean, in the long run, we're kind of in some trouble for what's going on here. Give me give me give me the rundown of kind of where we're at financially. Social Security, debt, you know, give me the overview, the thumbnail bad news, so to speak. Yeah, look, we're in trouble in the short run and in the long run. And I I totally sympathize with the exercise in futility. I've been doing this for almost 20 years, and it seems like each year, with a few exceptions, things get worse. Uh, Deficit over the last 12 months have been $2.3 trillion. Um, Remember the president was bragging about how he brought deficits down to $1 trillion? Mm -hmm. That's gone. We're back to 2.3 trillion. Um, that's 
you know, if you if you measure that relative to the economy, it is the largest deficit we've ever had in our history during outside of a war or recession during peacetime and normal economic times. Uh, and that's being added straight onto the to, to the national debt in the near term. I mean, we're seeing this through the inflation crisis and luckily inflation is coming down some, but it's still too high. And it's being replaced with very high interest rates that people are seeing in their mortgages and their business loans and their car loans. But over time, things are going to go from bad to worse. Uh, debt in the next five years is projected to reach its largest share in the economy, larger than after World War II. All the war borrowing we did, it's going to exceed that. Uh, interest payments are the fastest growing part of the budget. We spend more. We will spend more on interest this year than everything the federal government spends on children, including for nutrition, education, health care. In five years, we'll spend more on interest than we spend on defense. And in a quarter century or so, interest is on course to be the single largest federal government program, larger than Social Security, larger than Medicare. And just in case I'm not having depressed you enough, <laughs> we have three major trust funds headed towards insolvency. The highway trust fund is going to run out in 2028, the Medicare trust fund in 2031 or so, and Social Security in 2033. That's when today's youngest retirees are 72 years old, and the law calls for a 23% across-the-board cut to their benefits. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, this has, again, as you said, the short-term and the long-term, And uh, but they keep acting like, oh, don't worry, it'll be fine. Uh, don't worry, it's going to be good. And this is assuming, all these numbers are assuming that people will, people, entities, governments will continue to, to pr- buy that debt. To other countries, I mean, at what point do they just look at America and say, these guys can't control their stuff? I'm not buying bonds or treasury bills or anything else because, you know, I mean, it could run up. There's a couple scenarios here, right? It could either continue to happen and it becomes this huge part of our GDP and our actual budget costs. Or at one point, somebody just says, no, we're not loaning you anymore. I mean, either way, the wheels come off the bus at some point. I, I think that's right. Look, I don't think people are going to actually stop lending the United States because we printed our own currency, so we can always bump up the interest rates to entice them. If they're not willing to lend us at 4%, maybe they'll lend us at 6%. But that has consequences. And if those interest rates go up very quickly, they can actually cause a financial crisis because they can basically undermine all the financial balance sheets around the world. So one scenario is basically we don't default, but we cause a global financial crisis. And we can't bail out, bail out a global financial crisis when we're the cause of it. Another possibility, this is the happy possibility, is we just keep doing what we're doing and we eat our growth forever. Uh, the, the Congressional Budget Office, they're the official scorekeeper of the U.S. government. They estimate that if debt rises rapidly, uh, it will slow income growth by about a third um, over the next 30 years. That's about uh, $14,000, $15,000 per person of income growth disappears because we can't get our debt under control. Right. No, and 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 when you look at the debt amounts and and how much it is, I mean, this is trillions of and this is just debts that's on the debt sheet. This is not unfunded liabilities and everything else. I mean, years ago we talked to David Walker who was the Comptroller General of the US at one point uh, under a couple presidents and he came on the program. This is probably 15, 16 years ago, and he said, "You don't understand. It's not just the whatever it was at that point, 18, you know, 18 trillion in debt. It is the unfunded liabilities. We're talking about 60, 80, up to 100 trillion. I mean, and that was then. This is now. Uh, You know, there are so much, so much going on. We are sabotaging ourselves and we're allowing it to happen 
with the wink and the nod of a political class that is not willing to face the music to make people understand that this is arithmetic. This is mathematics. You cannot beat mathematics. That's right. And look, I, I get the politics. Um, it's fun to give people more tax cuts. It's fun to give people more benefits or more government services. But you know what's not fun? Inflation, rising interest rates, slower economic growth, uh, fear of insolvency of all these major programs. And we're not seeing any leadership on these tough choices. And they will be tough to actually rein in, rein in these very real very dangerous problems. Well, no, and they're not even, the thing is, they're even actually explicitly saying we're not going, you know, many of the politicians have, have said, and especially some of the presidential candidates, we're not touching Social Security or Medicare. Well, you have to touch them. You have to fix what's going on. You you can't just allow it. I mean, as you said, you know, the highway fund, I hadn't even thought about that. I hadn't even looked into that. So the highway fund's going to be gone. But Medicaid and Social Security, I today's my birthday. And I am going to be in 10 years, I'm essentially going to be right on the door of retirement. And that's when it's predicted to completely cut the legs out from underneath everybody. 23% loss in uh, in benefits for Social Security, which I've paid into for 40 years, right? And But yeah. if they don't fix it now, but the, no, no, we're hands off. Both sides, no, no, we're not going to touch it. We're going to leave. You, you've got to do something at some point. That, that's exactly right. And you know who else had a birthday this week is Social Security. It turned 88. It's not going to make it to 100 yeah. if we don't make some changes. Absolutely. Um, we, did the, we did the math on this. A typical couple that retires in 10 years will get a $17,000, $17,400 cut in their benefits the day they retire. Uh, that's the cost of inaction. If you say, I'm not touching Social Security, what you're really saying is, I endorse a $17,400 cut for the typical couple. That's and that's insane. And and let's talk for a second here specifically about uh, uh, Medicaid and Social, Social Security specifically, because the whole system was predicated. Uh, obviously, it was built kind of uh, modeled after some of the things that were going on in, in uh, early, uh, early uh, 20th century Germany. And they were like, oh, this will be fine because the average life expectancy at the time was like 62 years old. So it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. They had a lot of workers paying into a system that was essentially paying for the benefits of very few or very few workers. In fact, I think the numbers early on 15, 20, 25 years ago was like 12 or 13 workers paying into the system for every one worker that was out. And now it's down into single digits, like what, three, four people paying in for the benefits of, and as the boomer generation retires, that's going to get worse and worse and worse. I mean, what happens when it's one for one? Well, hopefully we won't get for one for one if we keep having some children. But you're exactly right. Uh, when Social Security was created, it was insurance in case you made it to retirement. About half the people made it to retirement, half didn't. It was insurance. Um, it's turned from that into a pension program where almost everybody makes it into retirement. And that would be okay. That would be sustainable if we had five workers paying in for every one taking out, as we did in the, in the 70s and, and, and 80s. We had four in the 90s and 2000s. We're down to three now. And we're headed to two. So instead of five people each chipping in 20 cents, two people are going to each chip in 50 cents. And the taxes aren't structured to be able to do that. And if they were, oh, bad, that would be quite a large tax on on workers that are just trying to get by. Yeah, no, it would be. It would be huge. So something's going to have to happen. And as you said, the 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 implication at this point is that the benefits will be cut. 
um, because anything that it would take to prop it back up would be a significant increase on wage taxes right now. Uh, do we have any idea of how big that would be? I mean, right now, what are we paying for Social Security tax? Seven seven well, percent or something? What would what would it be? You know, what does yeah, it look if like? You count both, if you count both your and your employer contribution, which you really should, because they're taking it right out of your wages, about twelve and a half percent. It would have to head up towards. 16, 17% if we solve this entirely on the tax side. But here's the good news on Social Security. There's actually a lot of options to restore solvency. If we had done them 20 years ago, we could have phased them in slowly. Now we have to phase them in um, quickly. But we can do a mix of a little bit more in terms of taxes, maybe maybe on high, high earners who don't pay taxes on their, on their maximum, a higher retirement age that maybe adjusts for increases in life expectancy, changes to the benefit formula. So if we focus on those who need it, we can make these changes and make this program solvent. What we lack is the political will yeah. to actually do so. We talk about that a lot on this program is political will because it's something that seems to be severely lacking across the country, not just at the national level, but at many state levels as well. And I want to talk about that for a minute here in just a second, but we have to take a quick break. Mark uh, Goldwine is our guest from the uh, Committee for Responsible Federal Go uh, Budgets, and we're going to uh, continue with him here in just a second. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Facebook uh, or YouTube or Twitch, wherever we simulcast the show. You can go out and join us in the chat room right now. We're going to be talking with Mark during the commercial break, and we will be back with more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. All right, we are back uh, in the commercial break right now. Mark uh, Goldwine is our guest. If you have any questions for Mark that you'd like to uh, uh, to throw out there, uh, I'd love to ask him uh, here. Uh, Donna Ardwin is in the chat room, um, who uh, Mark may or may not know, um, but she is here. She said the last, uh, she says in her comment, the last tax cut caused enough economic growth to pay for it. The U.S. has a tragic spending problem. Tax cuts are not our problem. But I mean, and I think that's the thing we have. Do we have a revenue problem, um, Mark, or do we have a spending problem? is the uh, is the question yeah so the way i look at this is it's like asking which side of the scissor is cutting um both are um the reality is is spending is the part of the budget that's rising rapidly but that's because we're an older population um and so it's rising rapidly in part to pay the exact same benefits to more people um so we have a choice either people have to pay higher taxes than they're used to or they have to accept less in benefits than they are used to probably they'll have to do both but one thing I want to point out on the tax side in particular is a, a lot of these tax cuts aren't really tax cuts. They're really spending through the tax code. We have all these deductions and credits and special exclusions that um, that look like tax cuts, but they're actually just another form of spending. And that's where I would start in the revenue side. Let's get those under control because they're making the housing market worse. They're driving up health care costs. They're causing businesses to make bad decisions, and they're not promoting that economic growth that we really want to get out of our tax code. 
And you're seeing this. I mean, I know you guys are focused on the federal budget. Uh, but as I just said, it seems like this disconnect between reality I mean, and the political will, this is a problem at state levels, even at city level, especially some of the major cities. This is this is a problem everywhere where they just appear to it's like monkey see monkey do. They see the federal level people just like, OK, we're spending and they're like, OK, we'll just do the same thing. Now, they don't have the monetary power to be able to increase the money supply or do other things, but they're trying to get it. And, and this is causing severe problems across the country, not just at the federal level. Right. But I'll tell you what, the federal government has enabled that um, over over covid. We gave almost a trillion dollars of state and local aid. Um, now, like this was a crisis, it made sense to give some state and local aid, um, but this was many times more than than their revenue shortfall from a couple of months of uh, pandemic shutdown or even even the longer rate of unemployment. So federal, so state and local governments have been flush with cash, and what have they used it for? Not to save in their rainy day funds mostly, but to cut taxes or to increase spending today. And not worry about tomorrow. Yeah, it's it, it, and and that seems to be a common thread amongst many states, uh, uh, and especially, I mean, I guess probably one of the most egregious ones to watch right now is California with their budget deficits and the things that they're doing. And you're seeing that, in fact, from a lot of the bluer states, you're seeing that massive outflow uh, from New York and Chicago and California. Uh, you know, these different areas where people are basically just like, OK, I can't do this anymore. And you're seeing an influx in places like Texas, for example, where they're where they're having it. And it's not necessarily that Texas is perfect. It's just better than everything else around it at this point. Right. Well, I mean, what's amazing is California was running like an 80 billion dollar surplus. And then we gave them 30 billion more of federal money. And somehow they blew it all. Yeah, already. exactly. Um, it's all gone. It's, it's, it's really just bad governance. Yeah. And that's again, that's that that's the thing. It seems like, as you said, it feels good to be able to give money to uh, to your constituency. It feels good to be the hero. And yet nobody wants to be around. It's like it's like musical chairs. I keep waiting for the music to stop. And, you know, there's not enough chairs for everybody to sit around. The politicians won't be there because, you know, they've they're taken care of. They won't feel the pain that the average American feels on this kind of thing because they're protected in, uh, you know, in their in their kind of elite status and, and all the, the things that they already have. So they're not going to feel the pain. It's going to be the average American that's going to feel the pain on this. Yeah, so, something uh, Dave Walker, the Comptroller General, used to say all the time is that politicians worry about the next election, not the next generation. And so the, uh, the incentives, they're just not well aligned. Yeah. Responsible fiscal policy. Yeah. I will tell you that the interview that I did with David Walker, and that, again, has probably been 15, maybe 18 years ago. Um, it was one of the most terrifying. Uh, I mean, in the end, it was one of the most unsettling interviews that I have ever had because it really laid out in stark contrast, not just the numbers that the C C CBO and everybody else, you know, kind of talks about. But he was talking about, again, some of the intangible unfunded liabilities and things like that. And I just thought, my God, this this thing is scary. But again, here we are 15 whatever years later, we're still doing the same thing, if not worse. It's it's kind of crazy. Um, Mark, hold the line. We're going to jump back into it. That means that we're about to rejoin the radio. Mark Goldwine is our guest from the Committee for Responsible Federal Budgets. Um, we uh, want to see what he has to say. We're going to talk about political will up next and uh, where we go from here. 
and we will see what uh, we'll see what he has to say. Again, we appreciate him. Uh, we appreciate him coming on the on the program, and we're going to uh, we're going to jump back into it here, right now. Here we go. Like and share. Like and follow the Michael Duke Show. Let's do this thing. Public enema number one. Oh wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. I resemble that remark. I, I I am a pain in the something or other. Good morning and welcome back to the program, the Michael Duke show. We're continuing right now with senior vice president and senior policy director for the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. You can find them at C rfb.org mark goldwine joins us we were just talking about the state of the nation i guess the state of the budget what it's really looking like and he left us uh before the break he left us on a note of basically talking about there is this lack of political will and we're seeing that all over the place mark specifically especially on the spending side at the federal level um, and we've done all these different shenanigans. I mean, this continuing this continuing resolutions, not really having a budget, just increasing the the debt cap and doing all these things. Uh, you guys put out a piece back in July that talked about uh, Senate Appropriations Chair Patty Murray and Vice Chair Susan Collins that they were introducing supplemental appropriations bill to to boost another thirteen billion dollars above caps, and they're playing all these games. Uh, to add more money to the debt, to get around having to actually create a balanced budget or do anything like that. And, uh, and, and they have no interest in reducing the amount of spending. It's like the few voices that are in Congress that are actually talking about the things that you and I are talking about. I mean, we're talking about four or five people out of 500. And the rest of them, including our own delegation, are just pencil whipping these things like, yep, 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 sign it, sign it, endorse it, it's all fine. But it can't continue long term. Well, let me, let me tell you one way I'm encouraged, and then I'll tell you why I'm discouraged again. But a year ago today um, was the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which you all remember. And I know there's a lot of very strong opinions about that, about that act. But I really think this was a turning point because from 2015 through 2022, early 2022, all we did was legislation that added to the debt whether for Republicans, it was tax cuts and, frankly, bipartisan spending increases. For Democrats, it was bipartisan tax cuts and huge spending increases. Remember the American Rescue Plan? Um, remember the early versions of Biden's Build Back Better that would have added trillions to the debt with, with big new entitlements? And then Senator Manchin came in and said, no, we're going to shrink this package and we're going to fully pay for it and actually try to reduce the deficit. Now, in hindsight, probably didn't reduce the deficit. Probably it was about neutral because the things cost more. But I think that was a turning point. So the first time we actually said, we're going to start paying for things. And then we followed that up 10 months later with the Fiscal Responsibility Act, which actually put caps on the appropriations. So the appropriators can't just spend like drunken sailors however they want um, and save about a trillion, a trillion and a half dollars. And so my, my optimistic take was the politicians are learning again to pay for stuff. They're learning again to reduce deficits. They're not just obsessed with increasing deficits as they had been from from 2015 through 2022. The bad news is there's already so much backsliding. On the Inflation Reduction Act, we're seeing the administration interpreting the rules very loosely, which is part of why the cost of these tax credits are exploding. And with the Fiscal Responsibility Act, as you mentioned, we're already seeing the appropriators trying to come up with clever ways 
to get around these caps when the ink is barely dried on them. And and is part of the, you know, again, part of the problem going back to, because I, I think most people, and maybe you can explain this to us in layman's terms, most people don't understand when the federal government is putting together these budgets and doing things, and we have these debt fights, and we have these threats of government shutdown because we won't increase the borrowing cap and everything else. Most people don't understand the process of that. I mean, they think the federal government is running a budget just like they're running a household budget, you know, but it's not, right? <laughs> can you can you break that down for us as to why it's important for us to actually have a budget and not a continuing resolution and what it, that means as far as, you know, why we have to worry about the debt ceiling and everything else? Can you explain that to us in layman's terms? I, I can try. Do we have an hour? Uh, <laughs> I know, exactly. Here's the short story. Here's the short story. Congress is supposed to, with the president's, based on the president's recommendations and advice, pass a budget every year that outlines what it intends to do over the subsequent year. And then it's supposed to try its best to meet that budget. And it never fully succeeds because this thing changes or they can't get political support for that thing. But they're supposed to at least move in the direction of the budget. That process has breaking down, broken down. Um, now, Congress often doesn't pass a budget at all. When they do, it's either a phony budget with some, you know, goal like balance the budget in 10 years that sounds really good on paper, but it's actually impossible to achieve, to achieve, or it's not a budget at all. It's just a way to, to sneak in these fast track processes to get their legislation. So the budget process is completely broken down. The next part is supposed to be the appropriations process. Um, most of the budget is on autopilot. It's things like Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, but a third of the budget, we actually need to decide how to spend each year. And when we have a budget resolution, we can figure out how much should we spend on defense versus what are we spending on Medicaid. But when we don't, you have two choices. Either the appropriators spend whatever they want, that's basically what happened the last few years, or we have caps in place to force their hands. Um, we never know have caps in place, and that's, that's good news because it's supposed to set the top line level for them to appropriate, but it seems like nobody actually likes those caps. And right. so the House Republicans are trying to you know, we had a deal. You may think it's a good deal or a bad deal, but McCarthy and President Biden had a deal and the Senate is trying to break the deal by going higher and the House is trying to break the deal by going lower. And as a result, we may end up with a government shutdown where nobody gets what they want. And instead, we're sort of thrown into this period of chaos. Right. Well, and we see, as I was just mentioning, you, you guys had that article back in July talking about Murray and Collins. They were going to introduce a supplemental appropriations bill to boost the level's $13 billion above the Fiscal Responsibility Act cap by designating the funds as emergency spending. Like, like we're just going to put the we're just going to we're going to pencil whip it and say it's emergency and it's an abuse of that thing. And it basically makes a mockery of any kind of controls that are in place. And that's just business as usual. It's, it's totally ridiculous. There's a time and place for actual emergency spending that sometimes has to be outside your ordinary caps. You know, for example, what's going on in Hawaii right now. Um, but they were just using this emergency designation for totally regular spending because they didn't like the deal that President Biden and Speaker McCarthy cut. Well, guess what? They voted to pass the deal, and the deal's a deal. This is a, I mean, this is a huge problem for, for America in the long run. So let's just say that I break out the magic wand, make Mark Goldwine the, the czar, uh, the emperor of fiscal policy in America, and uh, there are some solutions here. Mark, what are the solutions? 
for America to bring. I mean, I know that's a big. I've given you a lot of responsibility there, but what is? No, I know. I like that. He likes it. He likes it. Um, what do we? What? What do we need to do? What is the solution to this? That our yeah. politicians, again, don't have the political will to exercise. What needs to happen here? Well, the easiest thing is we should have caps and limits on our discretionary budget, not for two years, but for ten years or permanently, and. As emperor, I would force the appropriators to actually follow them without gimmicks. But beyond that, uh, I would say three areas we should especially look at. The one is healthcare. Healthcare costs are extremely high in this country, and there's so much we can do to lower the cost of Medicare and Medicaid without fundamentally affecting people's access uh, or quality of healthcare. Uh, just excessive payments. We pay hospitals um, more than we pay private doctors for the exact same procedures. These Medicare Advantage private plans, which I think are actually very good plans end up costing the federal government 10% more um, and the gains are going to profits. Uh, there's so much we can do. The incentives are misaligned so that people get more expensive drugs and pay more for, for procedures they don't need. So we got to fix healthcare. That's number two. Number three, we got to get social security solvent. And I mentioned that before. That means we're all going to have to work a bit longer. It means that the higher earners are going to have to accept that their benefits don't grow as quickly as the lower earners that really need them. And it means we're going to need a little bit more taxes, a little more contributions in the game. And then lastly, we got to reform the tax code. Um, the 2017 tax bill is large parts of it are going to expire at the end of 2025. And if we extend it without any kind of reforms, it would cost an extra three and a half trillion dollars. So what we need to do is identify the parts that are good, the parts that are bad, the parts that need to imp need improving, um, and then couple them with real tax reform that actually gets rid of a lot of these tax breaks that are distorting economic decisions that are driving up healthcare costs and that are making us worse off as a country. You you, you mentioned the Medicaid uh, and Medicare overpayments, which we didn't get into at all, but this is a huge, these are some huge numbers. You guys, again, wrote about this back in June or July, talking about how the Medicare overpayments are estimated to be somewhere in the neighborhood of you know eight hundred billion to one and a half trillion dollars in overpayments over a ten year period starting next year, um, just because it's not being is it not watchdog are people abusing it what's the what's the reason for all these overpayments or is it right. just writ into the law? So part of what is going on here is you have two choices in Medicare you have traditional Medicare which is run by the government and isn't great but it's pretty cheap. And then you have Medicare Advantage, which is these private alternatives. And these private alternatives in many ways are more efficient than Medicare, but they don't tell the federal government they're more efficient. In fact, they pretend they're less efficient. They pretend that they have a riskier, higher cost population. Their, their payment from the government is based on how basically how sick their population is. And so they do this thing called upcoding, um, where they, they make their patient pool look sicker than it really is. And that's the main thing that's causing these overpayments is that it looks like um, these Medicare Advantage plans are covering sicker people when actually they're covering healthy people. The other thing that's happening, I saw this today, um, uh, is that we have these quality bonuses that were meant to encourage just the very best Medicare Advantage plans to do better. Now everybody's taking them. They've all figured out how to game this bonus system. So it's kind of like uh, that line from that movie, The Incredibles. If everybody's special, then nobody is. Right. They're all getting bonus payments. They can't all be 
above average plans. Right, exactly. If they're all above average plan, that makes it the average, I think, is what we're trying to say here. Um, I mean, we've just taken a thumbnail. Like you said, we'd need an hour just to discuss specific points of monetary policy. And Mark, I'd love to have you back on the program again sometime in the future to discuss some of these things. Anytime. But I appreciate you guys and the work that you're doing over here at uh, CRFB. And uh, we appreciate you coming on board and trying to dissect it for us this morning. No problem. Happy to Hold, hold the line for just a second, Mark. Uh, folks, we are out of time for hour one. Hour two is dead ahead. We're going to continue. We've got State Senator Mike Schauer coming up to join us, and we'll talk about some state business, some, some philosophy. Maybe we'll talk about political will in the state and the spending that we see here as well. I mean, again, it's a contagious problem. Uh, if you got to go, we appreciate you being with us. Be kind, love one another, live well. Again, remember, act of kindness is actually good for your mental health, we just discovered. We'll be back with more. Hour two, dead ahead, The Michael Duke Show. Mark, I just wanted to take a minute uh, to give you one, the last bite at the apple on any thoughts that you may have, and just to say thank you to you specifically for taking time out of your vacation to uh, come on board and share with us. So any final thoughts here before I uh, before I let you get back to uh, sunshine and, and relaxation? Yeah, sure. So we lack a budget. We lack appropriations, but what we really lack is political will. And that means that both parties are going to get serious about our out-of-control spending, but it means that also that both parties are going to accept things they don't want. And, um, you know, even if you're a staunch conservative that thinks revenue isn't the problem, there's not going to be a solution that does not have some kind of mix of revenue and, and spending changes. It's the only way forward politically, and it's the only way forward fiscally. And until we all accept, we're going to have to do something we don't want. We're never going to solve this. Well, because the way we got here, I mean, again, I'm a libertarian. So, I mean, that's first things first. Let me throw that out there because everybody hates me. But the problem is both <laughs> the, the problem is both the left and the right. They are the problem. It, I mean, it is the Republicans say they're going to be fiscally responsible. Then they get in there and they do all this. It may be a different type of spending, but they increase the spending. They increase the size and scope exactly. of government. They do all those things. I mean, they are responsible for this. And yes, it's naive to think that, well, we may have plenty of revenue and all we need to do is, but no compromise is ever going to come from that. What I'm afraid of, though, is that we're going to get some kind of compromise deal in there where one side says, we'll give and we'll do this and we'll, we'll cave on this position. And the other side says, great, well, we're going to only cave this much, and so we all we all agree now, kind of thing. And that's that's what we continually see at the national level, and we've seen it here in the state of Alaska, the same kind of thing. You compromise on something, and they're like, okay, great. We're not going to meet you in the middle. We're going to step out 10%, and then you've got to meet us over here. It's a kind of a crazy thing. Yeah, which which brings us to another another hour conversation we could have, which is the breakdown of trust is almost as, is almost as problematic as the breakdown of political will. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, because we don't trust a lot of these guys anymore. I mean, I'm just surprised that we continue to send the same group of jackals back to the back to the Congress over <laughs> and over and over again. It doesn't matter if it's a you know, what if I told you that the left side and the right side were both part of the same coin? You know what I mean? It's just flip a coin and figure out who's going to do what. It doesn't matter because they're both part of the problem. And I don't I don't see Many people, maybe Man you mentioned Mansion. Okay, he, I think he's okay, but you just don't see. You see Massey and a few others that are that are trying to decry this stuff, and they're just shuffled off into a closet somewhere and said, "Just shut up, kid, and let the adults talk," kind of thing. But it it it's got to be addressed. If it's not, it's it's catastrophic. If if it's not addressed, 
I mean, look, today, I think interest rates are going to close the highest they have since before the global finance or since at least 2010. Um, we're already seeing the pain here and, and it's only going to get worse. Well, um, I'm glad that you guys are doing a lot of the work that you are. If folks, if you want to read up and and be paying attention to some of this stuff, again, not that you can dis- <laughs> this is this is where I'm walking the fine line here of being ultimately frustrated and wanting to beat my head against the wall versus being informed. But if you want to look at this stuff, CRFB has got a lot of great stuff out there. You can get their newsletter, you can follow their Facebook page, you can follow the their their website and everything else. That's the the Committee for Responsible Federal Budgets. Uh, Mark, thank you so much. Uh, we'll uh, we'll touch base here uh, in a in a month or two, and maybe we can talk again about something a little Would bit deeper. To. So, thank you so much. Enjoy yourself, my friend. Thanks. Have thank, a great one. Appreciate it. Uh, it's Mark uh, Goldwine with the uh, Committee for Responsible Federal Budgets here on the program this morning. <laughs> and everybody in the chat room's like, "Geez, thanks for." Uh, <laughs> Thanks for the the beatings. The beatings will continue until morale improves, kind of thing. I, I'm sorry, guys. I mean, it, it just it. This has been a, something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. Again, it's not it, It's not always happy. <laughs> this was my birthday gift to myself was to talk about this. But yeah, it 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 feels like the whole thing feels like an exercise in futility, right? I mean. Our Congress critters just look at us and go, oh, it'll be fine. Don't worry. Too big to fail. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, all the, all the, whatever you want to, whatever, however you want to phrase it, that's where we're at. And unfortunately, the only way to put a stop to it is to educate more Americans and for more Americans to wake up and see what's wrong and what's going on in our federal budgets. You cannot continue to spend more than you take in indefinitely. Math doesn't work that way. It's just it. you cannot fight arithmetic. That's the bottom line. You cannot fight arithmetic. I am so frustrated with this. I know you are as well, but it doesn't mean you, we can't grow weary and well-doing. We've got to continue to educate people on what's going on with this federal budget because if we don't, catastrophe is sure to follow. All right. Um, well, where I just lost, just lost one of my things here. Let's go over here. All right, there we go. Okay. Well, we're about 90 seconds out. Was that me or did I just hear the wambulance singing? Yes, you heard the wambulance in the background. Bill says, God, this is depressing. <laughs> God, this is depressing. I hope the government takes more of my piddly wages. Yeah, I mean, we're already there, folks. I mean, that's it. It's, um, it's, <clears throat> again, this is one of the reasons why I normally don't cover, I normally don't cover national politics. Because it, if, you know, it's that feeling of impotence, right? Of not being able to do anything to stop it to be able to see what the problem is to 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 you know read what experts have said and be able to pull it all together and go well okay there's a solution but nobody is willing to actually take up any of those suggestions or do anything about it uh as he just said co- quoting david walker politicians are worried about the next election not the next generation and that's where we're at so Kind of crazy stuff. 
All right. <clears throat> well, hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show should be joined by uh, State Senator Mike Shower. We'll be back. Here we go. Hour two right now. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to the audio-only live stream, also links to the uh, podcast. I suppose I should turn that up right there. There we go. Uh, The podcast uh, and, of course, links to our social media sites uh, where we simulcast the show every morning. We, We were broadcasting on radio, but we're also broadcasting the same show on video, on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. So if you if you insist on seeing this bearded mug in the morning and participating with a bunch of other six o'clock club members and uh, and Dukesters, somebody said Dukesters. That was the I didn't know. Is that like an official title of all the people who love the the Dukesters? Uh, anyway, if you want to join a bunch of like minded folks to discuss or talk about this kind of stuff, we've got the chat room going on as well. Uh, probably most easy to find on Facebook at facebook.com slash Michael Duke show slash live. Um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do it as well. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure you're aware your program in Fairbanks on the AM and FMs are having audio problems for the last two days. I am aware uh, they had some equipment failure there. They're doing construction around the station in Fairbanks and they shut the power off to the building for a few hours. <laughs> on a Saturday. And when they turned uh, power back on and everything back on, a bunch of equipment just went, what? (coughs) And that was it. It just kind of died. So they've been scrambling to try and fix it. So hopefully we, uh, hopefully we get it uh, squared away and uh, in the next day or so, but they are working on it. They're aware of it. And uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on board. All right. Well, we just finished up with, um, uh, with, uh, Mark Goldwine from uh, the uh, Committee for Responsible Federal Budgets. A little bit <laughs> depressing, some of the stuff that he went. It was like Brad on steroids, right? It's like Brad Keithley on steroids. You're feeling a little down about this, and I, I totally understand that. But maybe our next guest can uh, could bring a smile to your face. If not, uh, it won't be for lack of trying. Joining us on the program this morning in Hour 2 for our normal Wednesday segment is our friend uh, and my senator, uh, State Senator Mike Schauer, uh, who joins us this morning to talk about uh, political will 
policy of laws, rules, and bacon. That's 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 officially what we're going to talk about today. I think I've decided. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Uh, how are you doing this morning? Bacon, huh? Well, once you mention that, I feel better. Yeah, I mean, bacon is. I mean, when when can you not talk about bacon? All I want this morning is thick cut bacon and eggs. That's I'm dreaming of it right now. Little eggs with a little cheese on it, maybe a little ketchup and sriracha, and then a big thick old slab bacon. You know, kind of big thick slice bacon. That sounds delicious this morning. Gosh, I asked that. I asked Michelle for that yesterday, and she's like, "You know, I'm trying to keep you around. You can't have oh. bacon every day." I'm like, "Why not? <laughs> Why not? I have bacon once a week. My wife is like, every morning on a Saturday, you know, I get up and I'm walking around, and oh, that smells like bacon. And she's, you know, she's baked a whole thing of bacon, and we got eggs, and it's, it's a weekend tradition. A little avocado on toast, you know, something like that with bacon over the top of it. It's delicious. It's absolutely delicious. Yeah, so Michelle does that really well. Say, uh, she does a piece, you know, toast. With avocado, she smashes it, so it's kind of like a spread, puts it mm-hmm. on. Then some melted cheese, she put, you know, when she's doing the whole thing, an egg, and then the bacon. So it's basically like a Egg McMuffin sandwich. Yeah. Sort oh, of. yeah. Exactly. We don't do the egg on it, but just a big old avocado smashed up on toast, like whole wheat, 12 grain with a little butter, and then the bacon on top of it. You can't get much better than that. It's just yum. No, you really can't. You do that in a cup of coffee, you're good to go, man. Yeah, I mean, that's food for that's, – that's, that's a little fuel for the whole day, whole day. Um, all right, Mike. Well, you know, again, this is the slow season, and uh, I keep having you on just because we have such a good time together more than anything else. I mean, last week, uh, I really enjoyed our discussion on the Battle of Midway and Warbirds and talking about different stuff. And we don't have to go full politics here, but I thought I would just get a, ta- a you know, just get a touch of what you're thinking here. I don't know if you heard the last segment with uh, Mark Gold's uh, Goldwine, but um, you know, this political will issue that we bear facing is a national issue and a state issue. You've seen it firsthand. You've seen the basically the, you know, the willful blindness or willful ignorance of of of. Uh, uh, elected leaders in our state who are basically just like, oh, this will be fine. Don't worry. We can spend anything we want. We can drain the permanent fund dividend. We can do all these other things and it's okay. Just not the, just the lack of political will to live within our means. Um, so maybe a commentary on that and any thoughts that you have uh, as you're starting to plan what you're doing in this next session. Um, we could start with that and then we can move on to something fun. Well, I mean, you know, from my perspective, Mike, it's, you know, you guys know, we've talked about this as we'll always talk about, it, I guess it's just part of how it goes. Um, there is very little desire in the Alaska legislature, minus a few people to rein in our spending and only spend um, up to whatever the government takes in for revenue. Right. And, and saving for a rainy day is well, their whole thing is put it in the permanent fund and then, you know, make sure the permanent fund can never be touched again. Their ultimate goal might is to get rid of the dividend. They'll say one thing. I listened to one of the co- finance co-chairs speak on the floor with all their garbage, you know, the lies again. And it was like, oh, everybody wants the permanent fund. No, you don't. What they don't want, Mike, most of these people have money. Their family has generational wealth. Um, and they want to guarantee there's not going to be taxes, right? They don't want their money to be taxed. This is the, I've got mine. I don't want you to get yours. And the get yours is the permanent fund dividend, right? That's the that's the wealth of the state that gets handed out, um, you know, via the old way, 
you know, of the formula to the people of the state. Okay, got it. Everybody knows that. Nothing new there. We also know that many of them, like you said, don't want taxes because that's going to tax their generational wealth on their family, on their checkbook. But they don't care about you when they say, well, everybody wants a dividend. No, you don't. You don't care about the dividend. You only care that enough money goes into the permanent fund so you can fund spending so you don't get taxed. And here's the point, Mike, out of that. They don't care how much this government spends. They don't care if it's $2 billion a year, $4 billion, $10 billion, $100 billion a year. It means nothing to them. There are very few actual conservatives from a fiscal standpoint left in the Alaska legislature. Let me repeat that. They don't care how much we spend. They only care that they live within whatever revenue they can get their hands on. And then that's that's it. If the revenue goes up as it is right now, there's no pressure. We don't need to have a special session. We don't need a spending cap. How many times you heard that one finance coach here in the Senate say that? We don't need a spending cap. And as long as they don't have cash flow, as long as they don't have to pay for it, right? Because if you have ten billion dollars, you're going to spend it, partner. Right. As long as they don't have to pay for it. As long as they don't have to pay for it. That's the biggest thing, as you just said. That's we'll spend whatever we have as long as we don't have to pay for it. It's fine. That's right. And so people have to understand. They don't care how much the government spends. They have capping that spending. Again, we have a, a finance coach here that's been around for years saying we don't need a spending cap. You think he's going to let a spending cap proposal go to the Senate? Of course not. Now you've got a Democrat, thanks to our Republican colleagues, you've got a Democrat-controlled Senate. They have no interest in capping spending, none whatsoever. They'll spend every single penny they get their hands on. You raise a sales tax, they'll spend up to the limit, whatever that brings in. You get an income tax, they'll spend up to the same limit. You take money from the permanent fund, whether it's through this POMV or any other method, They'll spend every penny of that. Here's the point, Mike. They'll spend every penny other than putting some away into the permanent fund so that they can guarantee there's more money for, uh, guess what? Not the dividend for the government. That's the only thing you see them doing from a savings perspective. So understand that, Mike. It doesn't matter if it's Republican or Democrat. They'll spend every penny that they can get through whatever method they can get it. And you have to understand that. And you have to understand there's no desire minus a handful of legislators to cap that spending so that we save money in the future and put money towards where we really need it not the growth of government what we need is growth of capital right right we need growth of capital infrastructure we need to build bridges dams refineries and i'm not saying we should use all the government money for projects of nowhere my point is is that if we're going to do anything from an economic growth what what fuels it right cheap energy oh well we have this thing called oil that we produce a lot of in natural gas, and we could certainly refine that and have cheaper energy for ourselves. I mean, how much is gas right now in the valley? Yeah. Well, oh, what I'm seeing for 39, 440 plus now, Anchorage, it's almost five bucks a gallon. Um, and of course, Anchorage has their progressive left wing communist tax they installed from the Anchorage <laughs> Communist Assembly. But outside of that, look at that. Expensive energy is going to do what, Mike? It's going to shrink the already shrinking Alaska economy and high energy prices we have, but we don't have to. So we're going to put money into, as the state of Alaska government, we're going to put money into government. We're going to put it into social programs. We're going to put it into operations. We're not going to put it into capital infrastructure like we should. Doesn't matter what they say. We've got campaign year coming up, Mike. All of a sudden, you watch this January. It's going to be, oh, the dividend's so important. Here we go again, right? Every other year, (laughs) people are going to buy it. They're going to send a lot of the same legislators back, even though they replaced half the House last year. 
Um, and we're going to have the same people saying the same things, especially the old guard. They say the same things and they get reelected, Mike. So I don't, I don't want to hear all this, oh, vote harder. We're going to put in new candidates, baloney. People are going to send the same ones back. Well, we, I They're mean, going to send them back until they die. We put in um, a bunch of new candidates. I had candidates. one of them say that to me. Right. So. We, we put in a bunch of new candidates. The problem is, is that there's a specific geographically specific group of folks who continue to get reelected and they're the old guard and they've got the reins. They've got the, they've got the steering wheel of the bus here. They're the ones that are sitting behind the wheel and you may have a bunch of new people in it, the bus, but they're the ones that are driving it. So they, they because get a chance to do it. Nobody will fight them. Yeah. Nobody will, will say, well, I gotta, I gotta have that chairmanship. I gotta be in the majority, Mike. I, I, I have to be, it's the only way I'm going to have power. No, what the Democrats do. Democrats didn't do it that way. They stuck together. They, you know, we, the exception of the two old guard that go back and forth, one of them always joins the Republican majority they always have, um, you know, for a seat of power. and Nobody ever calls them on it. But, you know, no, you don't, Mike. You actually make change by saying, you know what, I'm not going to join that unethical binding caucus uh, and give you my vote until I see what the budget is. I'm not going to join your majority just for a seat of power. I'm going to hold my principles and I'm going to form with people that actually want to do that and do what they promised during the campaign season. Because you're going, to, you're going to get a whole bunch of fiscal conservatives again here all of a sudden, amazingly, um, as we get into the next campaign season. You're going to get a whole bunch of them that say, well, I, I didn't, you know, I don't like the binding caucus. I mean, I never I never promised my vote. I mean, we don't have one. Oh, baloney. That's a lie. They've all said it. You're going to get all that again, Mike, and go through the same thing. And I'm not trying to say that from a doom and gloom. It's just but let's let's deal with reality, right? Let's deal with the army you have, not the army you want when you go to war. You're dealing with what we have. Many of the same people will come back unless we have good candidates and steps up. I'm focused on next November. I think I've told you consistently, you know, looking for how we're going to reorganize and see what happens, um, depending on who comes back and new candidates popping up. And I hope there's some new ones. Always do. So we'll see. Um, you know, the status of the House matters, because if we didn't have the House right now, if those um so-called that joined with the democrats for the last previous six years and that had happened this last year well guess what you have the house and the senate controlled by democrats um against the governor what do you think, you think anything good is going to come out of this legislature you're going to get lgbtq plus you're going to get crt you're going to get the education spending you're going to get a defined benefit plan for every single state employee Wait, Not just wait. first responders who are in danger. It's going to break the bank. It's going to be wonderful wait to be down there watching this from the sidelines. I thought that they were. I thought they weren't doing any socially divisive legislation. That was part of the promise, right? I mean, that, wait, that wait. is the promise, Mike. But that is, uh, you know, this is the difference between what do they say when you're talking to a business, sales and service. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the difference between sales. Sales and is the sales. promise. Service is what you actually get. Yeah. Sales is the campaign season and the promises and service is what you actually get when they get down there and start doing what they do. Yeah, so, no, that's sales exactly. and service, Mike, sales and service. Right now you're dealing with service. Um, so good luck. Well, and I think the biggest part of the problem again here that Rob Myers has pointed out is this disconnect between the public economy and the private economy. And we in Alaska suffer from this unlike any other state. I mean, we've got this complete and total disconnect. Like you said, as long as the permanent fund money is there, they really don't care what happens in the private economy. And that's a mistake. I mean, that's going to hurt us in the long run. We could continue this discussion on the other side. The Michael Duke Show continues. State Senator Mike Schauer is our guest. We return with more right after this.
We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, <laughs> finally got the uh, station to go to commercial break. I don't know what the deal was there. Um, all right, let's uh, let's. This is your <laughs> Bill's. Like this is your little feel good bump. I didn't no, want it to be. Sorry. I didn't want it to be. To it. No, no, you're fine. I was just laughing because we the, the people had yeah, to get my cup. Had to get your coffee cup. Um, <laughs> Bill just said your little feel good bump. I mean, after the beating that we just received from. Uh, Mark Goldwine, and then we come in here and we're just like, rah, rah, rah. I mean, I understand. Yeah, I mean, I got I gassed up yesterday in Anchorage, uh, five dollars and uh, nineteen cents a gallon. Now I had to put I have to put Supreme in my car, but it was five dollars and nineteen cents a gallon for fuel, and I'm like, oof, oof. I mean, so you know, you're filling a little tiny car and it's sixty dollars or something. You're like, that's that's just crazy. I mean, how do people drive these big trucks back and forth? You know, at a hundred, hundred and twenty, hundred and twenty-five dollars a tank, it's not a not a fun not a fun thing for sure. Well, my apologies to Bill. I don't mean to be all Debbie Downer this morning, but um, you know, here's the thing, Mike. This is what's frustrating for me, just like all you guys, is that it doesn't have to be. We don't have to be paying nearly $5 a gallon, but we won't do anything to fix it. The ability to cap spending in the state has been staring us in the face for years. The ability to rein in spending has been staring us in the face for years. The ability to balance the budget and make it make the math work out and have stability moving forward has been staring us in the face for years. The old guard will not do it. And we are trying, Mike, over and over. We get stymied at every corner, whether it's the House or the Senate or certain individuals, they won't do it. And we can't quite get the number. But like I told you guys, look at the reason why. The reason why is the old guard that stays in charge of the Senate finance table and the House finance tables over and over again. If you put all of these things in place, these mechanisms in place to have an actual balanced budget and stability moving forward, you have ripped power out of their hands. They are no longer the power players. They don't get to determine where all the money goes. They don't have unlimited spending with every single penny that comes into the coffers. So you have to understand the battlefield, what's taking place. And what is taking place is anything that caps spending and controls the, the governance structure as far as what we can spend, how much we can spend, how much money you can bring in, rips power out of their hands, Mike. That's the reason. Look at the baseline reason. It's because they don't want power stripped out of their hands. That's why they are so angry with me and others that have fought the binding caucus. And I'm not trying to cycle back to the political side of it, other than to say that is a threat to their power. Because then they have to work hard. They can't guarantee your vote the day they organize for the next two years. They got to work for it. It's messy. It's ugly. It's going to take negotiations. Yeah, that's politics. That's governance. That's how it happens everywhere on the planet, unless you're in a dictatorship, and then you do what you're told or you get shot. But we're not quite there yet. Maybe we're heading that way, but we ain't there. So you have to understand that's the real thing we're fighting here, Mike, is 
the, those old guard politicians, the lobbyists, the big businesses, the, the municipal league, the chambers of con any, anybody involved doesn't want a limit on what they can spend, how they can move the money around, et cetera, et cetera. That's what we're fighting. You're fighting the whole system, in essence, that wants control of the money and the power that comes with it. And we are threatening that when we threaten a stable fiscal plan. We are threatening that when we say every legislator is free to vote how they want. You better work for it, Mr. Finance Co-Chair. That's what you're facing, Mike. That's the battleground. So you just got to understand that. And they're going to fight that tooth and nail with every drop of blood they have. That's their shtick. All right. Uh, we're going to continue right. that here. Was that was Right to the ding. Right to the ding. Right to the ding. We're going to continue with Mike Shower, our guest, uh, The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Please like and share the show. Like and follow the show page. And then uh, Mike and I will talk a little bit here about the economy, and then I will just let it fly and talk about something that's more fun. I don't know what, but something. Here, sure. we'll do it. So, <clears throat> like and share. Like and follow. Let's go. Here we do. <laughs> Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's do it. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. <laughs> Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Yep, not your daddy's talk radio. It is uh, a little bit different around here. It's what we do. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We got uh, more coming up here. We're going to uh, continue to talk with State Senator Mike Schauer, uh, our guest, uh, who uh, is uh, part of the part part of the old program here. Uh, we were just talking before we got uh, before we got dumped out in a commercial break. There, we were just talking about the economy, and uh, uh, Dozer was going on about you know how they'll just spend whatever. And part of this whole problem, of course, is the disconnect between the public and the private economy. Alaska is very unique in that it does not have to rely on what's happening in the private economy to inform their spending. Every other state, um, which usually has some form of tax or something to fill their coffers up, whether it's user fees or taxes, a sales tax or income tax or whatever, it depends on the economy, the economic situation in the state to inform them how much they can spend. But because we're disconnected from that and the money flows directly to the state from the oil companies and the coffers and they have access to the permanent fund uh, itself and to the permanent fund dividend, they are divorced from that reality. Um, Mike, this is, a, you know, this is a huge problem and I don't necessarily know how to fix it other than if the fiscal policy working group's plan was followed it would include components that would tie the public and the private economy together a little better it that tie between um the private sector economy and the public sector economy is obviously very important uh and you're right we don't have that here to finish what we were saying or to back to the radio crowd on the break the re one of you have to look at the reason, folks, on the why things happen, right? That's used the old weapon school brief. You know, it's like, oh, there you weapon school graduates go again. You know, six months and $10 million of training to say the answer is it depends. 
that's always our joke. Why? Why? Because that's your baseline. Why did that happen? Why did you get killed? Why did you get shot? Why did we fail? Whatever. And so you'll want to know why. But the why, folks, is, is pretty simple when you really look at it. The old guard legislators and a lot of the new ones, to be fair, coming in who are part of the system. You know, you replace Tom Begich with somebody that's even further left, right? You say, oh, Tom Begich is a liberal. Um, well, now you got one that's wildly to the left of that, you know, accusing parents of being terrorists, you know, when they um, want to be involved in their kids' education, the horror, right? I mean, that, this is the kind of rhetoric. Alaska's reaching the national level of rhetoric now with some of the new candidates coming in. So it's not just the old guard per se, but they're the ones that have the power, the knowledge of the system and the control. And there's only a handful of us that oppose that. But remember, folks, that what you're fighting here in this case, like I said, they'll spend every penny they can get their hands on. But why? Why do they want this? If it's, it's why I said in the break, they're so mad at me and others about the binding caucus because that rips the why. Why are they upset about it? That's the issue, right? That's the question. Why? They're not mad because, oh, well, the binding caucus, we have to have that, you know, to have, you know, stability and control. Well, nobody else in the country does it. Somehow the other 49 states function. So it, you don't have to have it. But what they want, Mike, it's power. That's ultimate power. The day they organize, they know for the next two years, they're going to get their votes. They don't care. Woohoo, it's smooth sailing now. Oh, my gosh. They've got this small group of legislators telling us that this, telling everybody that mining caucus is unethical. And, oh, now we're going to have to work hard and we don't have control anymore. So, again, Mike, power and control. And if we enact the fiscal plan you're talking about, why won't they do it? Why are they so upset? The why. The why is you rip, again, power out of their hands. When you cap spending, the Senate finance co-chairs can't just spend every penny they get anymore because now they have to put it away. Now they have a limit. Now they have to work hard. The Municipal League, the Chambers of Commerce, big business, lobbyists, the old guard legislators, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of a sudden, they got to live within their means. It's going to constrain what they can do. The movement of money got their fingers on it to put it where they want it. Well, of course, they're going to be mad, Mike. Of course, they're going to fight back. Same thing at the federal government level. Look, of course, they're going to fight back. They want to spend their trillions of dollars. They want to flow where the money goes. That money's power, Mike, and not just in the states or our nation. It's power over what happens in the Ukraine against Russia. It's power over China or Japan or anybody else. It's power. So we're touching on that. We're pushing right back. And so that push makes them mad, and they don't like that. And what are they going to do? They're going to shove some of us into a minority. They're going to lie about us and tell everybody that, oh, we're terrible people. We're hard to work with when we're not the ones saying the bad stuff now. They are. They're going to say we're untenable, can't do this when they're the ones that are unreasonable and are spending every penny that we have. So that's how the game is played, Mike. And so at the end of the day, you can be mad about it, but at least you should understand it and then figure, well, what are you going to do? Well, one of the folks is, is he still, I, I don't think you give up. On the election, just got to look for good candidates and hope that people will come in and, and follow their promises and not be and say one thing in the campaign and do another you know, sales versus service for the next two to four years, because that happens to us every time. Right. <clears throat> Some that are going to be ethical and say, I'm not joining the binding caucus. You don't get my vote. You got to earn my vote. I got to see the budget before I vote on it. Right. Right. People that go, you know, I'm not going to throw my Republican colleagues under the bus. I'm going to stick with them like the Democrats do, even though they, they have disagreements and argue, but they still get together. They make it work because they're not stupid, right? They have strength in numbers. Well, that's not a Republican thing in Alaska. It's like, what? I can join those guys and get power out, ditch my colleagues, see ya, you know, and go back and explain to my constituents, well, I, you know, I had to do that for our district so I can get stuff. That's the job is to get stuff. Hmm, okay. So I say all these things and some of it in jest, Mike, so that people, I, I want people to understand the why. What's the battlefield? Why are people saying that? 
Um, why are they doing those things? That's what you need to understand if you want to ask intelligence quest intelligent questions. That's what you need to understand if you want to look at a better path forward or ask hard questions of candidates or your legislators and move on, you know, and see what's going to happen. So, um, you know, and it happens on both sides, you know, I'm looking at notes, I'm getting here different stuff. Uh, you know, um, you get it on both sides too, right? Uh, it's not just the left. And we've always kind of been fascinated by this. You have people on the right attacking conservative legislators because they're not far enough to the right or they're not, and, and this is maybe the real issue, they're not key on the particular issues, right? Oh, we want you to be 100% on this issue. And if you're not that one issue thing, then you, you're terrible, you know? And you're no better than a Democrat. <laughs> so not only do we have to face the binding caucus, not only do we have to face the old guard and all of those entities I talked about that want the power control, we got to face people on the right as well that get mad at us because we're not 100% on their one issue when we're trying to look at all these issues and, and juggle all the balls. So it's it's a daunting task. And then, you know, when I look at somebody, I go, hey, you interested in the job? They're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a really good job of telling yeah. me why I don't want to do that. I'm like, I, I got to be a better salesman. Say, no, it's great. It's, it's, the sun shines in Juno and the birds are singing. Kumbaya. And kumbaya. Yeah. We all hold hands and, <laughs> and sing a little shanty and, and do all that kind of stuff. I mean, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, who, who wants to, who wants to live in that exercise of frustration for sure? I mean, you know, the one thing about, you know, we go back to the charter of changes and of course, changing the players is one of the first ones. Unfortunately, that kind of whole idea doesn't go deep enough because we need to change players in certain areas, certain districts to get some of that old guard and get some new thinking and new blood in there. And, you know, we just can't get any traction in some of these places, you know, like Sitka. We haven't seen a we haven't seen a, a realistic candidate go up against the senator from Sitka in years. Uh, you know, we had a we had an interesting matchup uh, this last go around down in Kodiak um, that could have made some changes, but that kind of fell flat. But I mean, we need to have viable candidates up against uh, a lot of these old guard players. And in some places, we even went backwards, you know, thanks to ranked choice voting, I think, in part because of like the, the Roger Holland thing and everything else. But it's uh, it's frustrating. We've we've changed out quite a bit, but we need to change out more, especially targeting some of the old guard business as usual crowd. Well, I mean, that, Mike, to me, is not as much as it is, you know, about the specific legislator, the individual as it is about the system and what happens to people that serve for a long time. I don't think that many people can be in this job for a very long time, whether it's state or federal, should you could probably even say local in some cases, and not somehow become part of the system, not somehow start to sell your soul, not somehow become at least corrupted in some ways. because. What happens, Mike, and I'm seeing it, you know, last seven years now, it's hard for me to imagine I've been doing it coming up on, you know, seven years here, but you start to wonder, well, if I just, you know, this is the trail of tears, right? You go, well, if I just do this one thing, then I can make a difference. You know, if I don't sell my soul for this binding caucus, I can't get infrastructure money for my district. I can't get this bill passed. That's really important. I can't do this. I can't do that. And what do you do? You start making compromise. And it's as the, the old saying goes, Mike, you know, after the first time, it gets easier, right? You make one little compromise and go, well, that wasn't so bad. And, you know, I still got reelected. And, oh, yeah, you know, I'd, next time I'm going to sell my soul, but I'm going to sell it for a, a finance co-chair seed or I'm going to sell it for this. And the next thing you know, you turn around over, a, you know, 
10, 15, 25, 30, 35 year career going, oh, you sold your soul a long time ago. I've had one tell me that a long serving one. So oh, I sold my soul a long time ago. I actually said that to me. <laughs> so you more than anything than, you know, your angst with these individual legislators, it's how long they've been there is I think that's a problem for just about any human being in that position, which is why I believe in term limits, although we'll never get them past the body. And then some people like them, some don't. Um, and you will, I, I personally don't like long serving legislators. Love or, you know, like or get along with them or not is, is less relevant than the fact that what I explained about how they can become corrupted and part of the system, the longer you're there, the, the higher the chance of that being. So. I don't want to see these legislators serving for 20 or 30 or 40 years because I think that's a problem. I think corruption breeds itself in this environment. Right. Money, power, Mike, I mean, you, it is an enticing, you know, uh, aphrodisiac. It is what's the, well, the, the great people. Are, so it's money. No, it's not. Money is a means to an end for many people. Right. The greatest aphrodisiac in human history is power. Power over other people. Power over the money. Control. And the longer you serve, the more powerful you get, the harder it is to control that, you know, need that shot in the arm, you know, for that power. So people understand that. That's my point. Trying to drive to you. That's what you're dealing with. This They want the power. You mentioned the term limits and that it would never pass the body. But, um, of course, there is the citizens initiative right now. There's an initiative petition going around for term limits and stuff like that. Do you think that that would go a long way to fixing um, kind of what's broken and what we have going on right now? Pros and cons, right? I always try to look at both sides when we have that discussion. The pro is I think it would clear out people that have been there for a long time. It would, um, you know, not have long serving legislators. The chance for corruption would be less. P people would realize they can't just sit in that job for 40 years and have all the power. They know that eventually that job is going to be gone. Um, you know, so they're going to have to move on. They can't invest their entire life in doing it. Um, some of the cons, because there's cons to every decision, right? Um, well, you know, we won't have as experienced legislators. I don't think that's all that of a valid argument, Mike, personally, because it's not rocket science. I figured all this out in the first couple of months. I mean, not much you can do about it politically when you're outnumbered so greatly, but it's not like it's hard to figure out the job. So, but, you know, there is something to be said for experience. You know, you're able to serve for maybe 10 or 12 or 14 years, you know, figure out some reasonable term limit and you, you're going to have the game down in a year or two and be fine, if, you know, and, and know what you're doing. So some people say that's a con, I suppose. Perhaps the biggest con and the most realistic one and, and harder to get around is who has the power then? Would it be the bureaucrats? And I think it would. And that's dangerous. Um, lobbyists and others that are around for 20, 30, 40 years, the, the, those bureaucrats have the power and they would because legislators wouldn't be around as long. So could you slap or should you slap term limits on bureaucrats? You can only serve for the state for 20 years. I mean, there's solutions. The problems, but that's another one you would face. And that is a real one, I think, perhaps is one of the more dangerous with the term limits is that you would be transferring a lot of power to bureaucrats. So corrupt legislators, corrupt bureaucrats. <laughs> Not sure it really matters. Are you right. trading? But you yeah. know, now you probably have both. Right. Right. Um, so maybe you, you at least take a stab at the problem. Um, so anyways, it's pros and cons to everything. You got to think about yeah. it. But um, hard to pass is the point on this one, because legislators would be limiting their own career. That's going to be hard to do. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with the pros and cons of term limits. I agree with term limits and principles, but I am always concerned about the potential for uh, the potential for bureaucracies to gain more power because they know how to game the system and a fresh legislature may not recognize. I hear music. Yeah, may not recognize that. 
All right, uh, we're coming up on the break. Mike Showers, our guest. Up next, whatever. A little bit of whatever here for the uh, for the show. We're going to continue with State Senator Mike Shower in just a moment. Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the uh, in the break right now. State Senator Mike Shower, our guest, as we continue to uh, work through. Fairbanks is having some real issues this morning. It keeps connecting and disconnecting. I can watch it on the back there, see what's going on. So hopefully we get that fixed up. Um, Donna says uh, term limits for bureaucrats. Uh, I mean, she says bureaucratics, but then later on, she says bureaucrats. Term limits for bureaucrats. And uh, I mean, I've talked about that in the past when we've discussed term limits in general, that maybe there should be some function in government that says, you know, lateral changes and moves within departments or things like that, that that stuff should be shaken up a bit because, you know, bureaucrats do hold a lot of power uh, in those regards. But I think baby steps, you've got to get the You've you've got to get the term limits on the politicians first, and then you can make some kind of administrative change that shuffles things up so that somebody's not in the same job for 30 years, uh, amassing an amazing amount of institutional knowledge and power at their beck and call to be able to stymie what the elected officials need or want to have done. And uh, I mean, that's that's a problem at the federal level, especially. But even here at the state level, it's something we should address, I think. Well, Don is right. I mean, you know, like I said, that's why I brought it up is bureaucrats would be your next problem. But, you know, there's also, like I said, something to some, how do you eat the elephant, Mike? One bite at a time, right? So maybe you take the bite at uh, term limits for uh, politicians, and then the next one you take a, a bite at the apple for term limits for bureaucrats so they can't serve forever. You know, I would be a fan personally of a lifetime ban on uh, being able to lobby if you come out of government service, right? I mean, because you turn around with your very same friends you made over the last 20 or 30 years, and now they're selling you, you know, all kinds of products and, you know, this company and that company and this contract. So maybe one of the answers in that bite of the elephant is you have politicians and bureaucrats, you know, can can never, because we got, oh, this one year cooling off, three years, whatever, but how about a lifetime ban? You can never go back into government and lobby for money with your friends that you spent a lifetime serving with. Yeah, there's nothing corrupt about that. Nothing untoward or unethical would ever happen with that, would it, right? So there's multiple avenues that need to be addressed to break up capital cronyism, to break up how people can leverage their personal friendships that we simply don't do. And the reason it won't be done, Mike, is because these very people know that you're potentially cutting off the hand that feeds them. So they're not going to do something that's going to limit their own power or future or, or checkbook moving forward. Very few people seem to be willing to do that. Back to, you know, we can go back to the pay raise. How unfathomable is it that we gave ourselves a 67% pay raise when gas is spiking at $5 a gallon coming up, when our economy is struggling, when Alaska is losing people, when we're getting attacked by the federal government incessantly for our ability to develop resources by the Biden administration? And here we are, right? So. Yeah. The legislature says we did such a bang up job, you know, we're going to give ourselves a 67% pay raise. I'm just like, 
Oh, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, tone deaf, Mike. Just absolutely tone well, deaf. Well, yeah, de- um, definitely not reading the room. You know what I mean? Definitely not paying attention to what's going on. I, I, I need a, a, I mean, I'm hitting the button as hard as I can hit no, Mike, and it just isn't mattering yeah. because, you know, there's a handful of red uh, votes on the board and it still turns green. And I just look at people, how do you justify that? I've said all along for the pay raise, not to spend too much time on that, but I'm okay with the pay raise if you chop the per diem down. The pay is pretty close to what I think should be average for what's really normally about four months of work. I mean, you know, depending on if you have a second job like myself and a few others and, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, there's a handful of us that are tied to the private economy, um, but there's not many. I looked at the Senate and there's really two out of 20. <laughs> if you believe that, two of us are dependent upon the private sector uh, and that's it. It's, you know, everybody else is retired or has lots of money or, you know, whatever. So they don't. Uh, you know, they don't care as much like we talked about with the private sector and what happens. I mean, some of them, a couple of them work a little bit, but not really um, right. if you look at what their jobs are. So, you know, Mike, I mean, it's anyways. So enough of that, I guess, for today. But um, you you could do multiple things. We could take multiple avenues um, that would probably make a difference. Um, but uh, right now, the legislature is just I, I believe it's just lost. It's like a boat founder with no rudder. And the way it was bouncing around, oh, oil prices going up, we're good. We're going to go through this same cycle again. Now it's fine. Don't have to worry. Don't have to do anything. Because see, look, oil's, oil's back for now until it's not. Uh, you know, this would be the time, right, when oil's high to set a plan in place and cap it all, make it work. But no, we won't do that. So what do you they think? Just, they simply won't. What do you think about the minority members uh, in the House uh, pushing for the conflict of interest rule? Which is part of the charter yeah, of changes. I saw that, I saw that comment. That's, yeah. Mike, it's not going to work because here's what will happen. I made a comment on one of the threads on social media a couple of days ago about that is that I understand the desire. I mean, it's, it is laudable, not laughable, laudable to want to fix the problem because right now it is a worthless system. Somebody goes, I may have a conflict of interest. I own a business in this, blah, blah, blah. And they're going to go, somebody objects and they're forced to vote. Well, that doesn't work, right? Um, because they, they always have to, they're always required to vote. Right. So you could require this vote of it, but you know what's going to happen? Everybody's going to vote the same anyway. So all you're doing is adding a step to a process and they're going to, everybody's going to vote. Nope. You got to vote. <laughs> well, um, I think it at least would bring it out. I, that's the thing. At least it would bring it out. Every other elected body in the state's got to abide by that. And it mm-hmm. just, it blows my mind that this is where we're at. All right. We're coming back in. Here we go. The Michael Duke show, common sense, Liberty-based free thing and radio. Okay, um, Mike Shower is our guest. Final segment of the show today. We've been focused pretty heavy on politics, and uh, it's my birthday, so I want to kind of, you know, give myself a little present and break from, you know, at least the last 15 minutes or so uh, talking about uh, something more fun. Uh, so, Mike, what uh, what are you, what are you doing this uh, summer for uh, for for getting away, for breaking down, for get now that you're kind of out of Juno and you had to let your hair down a little bit to kind of recharge and relax. I know you got your job and everything, but uh, yeah, I know what hair, right? I mean, it's like, it's going away. Um, but what, hair, yeah, you got hair. I don't have, I'm, I'm losing, I don't have much. Um, but what do you, uh, what, what do you, what's your, what's your fun thing? What are you doing for summertime fun here in, uh, in Alaska? 
Actually, for the first time, and really this will be the third summer, Michelle and I have actually done some fun stuff. We've been so busy last year, like I said, with the campaign and, you know, uh, upgrading, uh, you know, at FedEx. And the year before that, we were busy and just so much going on that we said, you know, this year we, we really got to take a break. And this was a, we knew it was going to be a quiet summer. I already said way many months ago, there was never going to be a special session. That's coming true. You could see the writing on the wall on that one months ago. So I'm like, you know, we need to have a little bit of fun, you know, because all work and no play, right, as the old adage goes. So we have gone fishing multiple times. We went dip netting. Key and I went dip netting on Fish Creek in a canoe. Michelle and I, we've never done that. That was a hoot with all the people out there bouncing around the little canoes. And, you know, it looked like Jaws. There was every conceivable contraption of floating device. People had these nets in and playing with that. That was a, that was a lot of fun. Muddy mess, but that was a hoot. Um, went up to, to uh, Chicken Stock. Uh, we've... Uh, gone hiking um we've been visiting friends down the kenai peninsula because we got a lot of good friends down there going to valdez before too long here to visit there i mean part of it becomes you know you try to have a town hall and talk to people whatever but um just trying to enjoy alaska because we really haven't for several years now done anything um trying you know next month i'll try to get a hunt in i didn't go hunting at all last year which was the first time like 15 years i haven't been hunting so um that's just something i enjoy with my friends and family so all the Alaska stuff, Mike, is that's part of why we, we live here, right? We love this state. We love what it offers. I mean, the flying, the fishing, the hunting, the outdoor stuff. I mean, that's, that is why we're here. We've discussed this. Go, well, what if Alaska just dove into the deep blue, right, and became this freaking third world hellhole um, like California, which so many people seem to be intent on moving here and turning it into? Where would we go? And the answer becomes, I don't know. I don't know if there's any, anywhere else we could go, which is one of the reasons we want to stay here and fight for it, right? Keep it the way it is. So um, we're taking advantage of that this summer, but it's the flying, the fishing, the hunting, um, uh, you know, even just, I mean, quite frankly, Mike, just sitting on the back deck, you know, and enjoying the view on, on the occasional sunny day. Right. You're right. <laughs> I know this summer, summer. I, yeah. we need to talk to somebody uh, about this summer. I mean, come on, I'd like a few more yeah. sunny days. You know, Somebody in power here needs to do something about this, right? Pass a uh, bill. Yeah. So pass a bill. Have some warm summer, you know, yeah. sitting out in the garden, you know, uh, working on the raspberries and the apples and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, sometimes that's just fun to sit out there and get your hands dirty. Right. And, uh, you know, I've been splitting some wood, you know, for the winter time, you know, get that all stocked up again. And, and it sounds weird, but you know, to, to get out there and kind of drone for a while, Mike and the lawnmower with the headsets on or sit there, you know, cutting and splitting wood for hours. There's something, um, zen. I don't know, uh, Zen. It just, Yes, about that, where yeah. you just you get in a zone and you just do the work and you're just kind of letting your brain flow and uh, and and I don't know, just kind of drift for a while. It's, I don't know, Mike, it's it is soothing sometimes. And I think yeah. almost like rehabilitation to do that old school work and just not think about stuff. Yeah, sometimes no, I, mean, that's nice. I feel that. I mean, I've got a spot in uh, I've got a spot in Homer where literally. I plan a chair and I could sit there for two or three hours and just watch the ocean roll in. And it's just that very that calming kind of thing, emptying your mind and just letting everything kind of wash over you. There, there are definitely some places in this world that are like that. I mean, growing up for me, it was like Harding Lake out at, uh, out at Fairbanks, you know, or going out to moose camp or hiking or something like that. Um, although I don't get out in the woods as much as I, as I used to, uh, now it's just like, if I sit by the ocean, I feel pretty good, <laughs> you know, about it when it's all said and done. So, but you got to have that recharge. And it would be nice to have a few more days of sunshine and things like that, but I guess at least it's not snowing is the whole point here at this at this well, time. 
Mike, we live we live in Alaska, right? I mean, Michelle used to tell all the young wives here that when uh, we were in the military, it's like, look, you look, if you sit inside all winter, you're gonna go stir crazy. You're gonna you're gonna be sad, right? Use the acronym. You gotta go do things even when it's cold. And you know, this I've been telling people that that are newer to Alaska. I said, you know, this those oh, terrible summer, it's rainy, it's colder. I'm like, global warming, you know, haha, just laughing, making the joke, but I said, this reminds me a lot of the 90s we're up here. I mean, most yeah. summers were kind of a little colder. It rained a lot. I go, this is not out of character. And I said, so what? So put on a freaking rain jacket. Get outside and go. Go do stuff. You know, yeah. go outside and fish and hike. And, and it's Alaska. And that's that's part of the cool thing. I mean, it is different. But, you know, you, you go. Oh, we went clamming. I forgot to mention that. We flew down the coast to Chitina Bay or Chitina Bay and uh, went clamming. That was kind of cool. So haven't done that in many years either. But. It's Alaska, man. Sometimes the weather can be what it is, and you just got to take advantage of it and go have fun. So um, that's a lot of what makes this state so attractive to people is the ability to go out and do stuff because we're, we're way up here. You know, yeah. it's expensive to visit family. You can't just hop in the car and drive to the next state over and visit grandma. Yeah. It costs a lot of money. So and where else would you go? Where yeah. else do we have such a great, you know, such great protections as far as, you know, the Second Amendment and the rights we hold up here? At least we did. <laughs> They know those are being attacked, right? That's my point. Is like if they turn this into a California, where else are you going to go? I don't know, Mike. It's not like it's a lot better than the lower 48 and far worse in a lot of places. So if we could get our act together on state spending, not to go back there, if we could have the cheaper energy and, and have some stability in businesses where people invest, if we'd have a federal government not under Biden that didn't attack us every other day with another restriction on resource development so we could crank up the economy. There would be some hope here. There's a lot of things we can do, you know, if yeah. we would. But um, we, we have to. I was talking to a person yesterday. I'm, I'm busier than, you know, not saying I'm not doing anything politically because there's a lot going on. Still election stuff, still working on that um, audit things and options, looking at, you know, talking to candidates for next year. A lot of local stuff going on with different issues, you know, uh, infrastructure, especially, is, you know, for the Matsu growing. So lots of things still happening. Um, and even talking to other legislators uh, around the country, uh, been invited to one down south to talk about ranked choice voting. So trying to stay engaged and, and do what I can. But, um, you know, uh, I told a local official yesterday, we we're discussing some issues. I said, you know, what's your opinion on this? I'm not going to say what she was, but the point was, I'm like, dude, just freaking do something. Build this thing, build that thing. But for goodness sake, we sit back and argue about it and do nothing. Build it. Right. If it was the wrong answer, oh, well, we built something and it will have some impact. I'm like, just do it. Baked into Don't a squat. Don't study it for yeah. five or 10 years and then never do it. Well, somebody's getting Build paid. Things. That's that study Go industry thing. Go forward and prosper, for goodness sake, uh, man. I don't care. Final, do something. Final question out of the chat room. A couple people have talked about this already, and uh, hopefully Michelle's out of the room. Uh, but, uh, Mike, no. would you consider running for governor? No. <laughs> I saw that already. I keep tabs on it. Like I said, you better talk to Michelle. I can't answer that question without putting my life in grave danger. Yeah, so I, I, I refuse to answer that. And I take the Fifth Amendment. You and I have had conversations offline about this, and I act literally heard Michelle in the background say, "No." <laughs> so let's end on a high note and a fun one, real fast, as I know time's almost up. Somebody asked the question. We didn't really get to, to drill too much on it, I think, but I'm going to answer that one because I want to fold this in because we should have more fun. And this was kind of ended up way too political. It goes fast. But somebody asked the question about P38 versus P51. So we go back to Warbirds and something cool. Um, it, it depends, Mike. The P38 was a fantastic airplane. Remember, twin engine, twin tail, different, right. not as maneuverable. 
but for the range it had and especially two engines over the pacific and the theater and the turbochargers and how that aircraft worked that was a fantastic airplane for the pacific theater the p-51 being a single engine um, liquid cooled was a fantastic aircraft for matching the germans with the messerschmitt um, and the Focke-Wulf over the European theater, a fantastic airplane. Not a good ground attack jet, jet, listen to me. Um, you know, propeller-driven aircraft, but um, it was fantastic for the air-to-air -air war in uh, Europe. But it was not good single engine, you know, flying between Okinawa and Japan, for example, six hours over the Pacific right. Ocean. One engine <clears throat> aircraft, P-50, or P-38 was an excellent aircraft. So they all, like we said before, have their pros and cons. And somebody had asked that question, so I just want to throw that out. I mean, P-38 did that long-range mission. They intercepted Admiral Yamamoto and shot him down. And, uh, you know, he was their master strategist. So right. um, every aircraft design um, has pros and cons. The F-4 is a great example, the old F-4 Phantom Fighter. It was a hodgepodge. It was designed to land in a carrier, but then they tried to make a Marine and an Air Force version of it, and it was thrown together. And the, it's the old saying, if you, if you give it enough power, even a brick can fly. It's one yeah. of things you should say about the Phantom. <laughs> so compromises, well, you know, Jack Moultrie is master of none. So every, you just, I wanted to throw that one out there because somebody asked and I felt bad. And it's kind of a cool, maybe way to end the program and talk about something that's All not right. political. And Folks, we're out, we're out of time for today. We'll see you tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show. Have a great day. No, it, it, it just goes to show that, you know, every every different type of aircraft has its place. And the P-38 excelled over the water and doing those things. The Mustang may have been a more maneuverable fighter and everything else. But again, it was specifically targeted to uh, combat the more maneuverable and, and the, the heavier fighters from Germany. And I mean, you know, everything has its place. So... It's, and by uh, the way, made about made the first version about three months from the back of a napkin. Hey, Michelle, remind me of something. To keep telling you guys, and we need to do, we do need to keep pushing this for the valley, Mike. We got local elections coming up here in a couple months, and those are some ways just as important, if not more so, than state and federal because of the the local ordinances we live under, you know, in the Matsu. So make sure we're reminding people of that um, it's a good reminder from her that uh, we got local elections, and we just need to get a turnout. We typically do well as conservatives, you know, and Republicans, et cetera, et cetera, if we get people to vote right the problem is the unions and the left spin up their groups and they go vote and well we don't because we don't know about it or we're lazy so just as a reminder and if we're paying attention to the local politics if we're not so spun up about the national stuff and getting you know mired in the whole trump versus this and biden and all you know is the things that we really can affect we need to be focusing on the things that we can affect and that is especially in our local city councils and our borough assemblies because i mean how many times have we had a red area that the assembly has swung deep blue in some cases and done things that the local po you know the local, local populace is not in favor of and they don't find out about it till it's too late we've got to pay attention to what's going on locally mike and, that was the matsu yeah just a few years ago yeah. that was the matsu we let it it was being run by left wing green party weirdos i mean all kinds of folks and we just didn't do anything about it and i just the, the last parting shot is look at the difference of under COVID of matsu and how we operated and anchorage which one would you choose, folks? I mean, the Matsu was free to do what you thought was best, and that's the difference in local politics. Yeah. Well, and that's the same thing. How that was handled between those two entities. So Again, for what it, it's worth. Yeah, and the Kenai, the Kenai Peninsula Borough is the same kind of thing, you know, and they've had the same struggle. Same. Fairbanks' that's assembly right. has finally swung more towards a median, you know, balanced position. That's what we need. <clears throat> we need the balance in, in all these things, and especially it should match the makeup, the political makeup of the local area. And it's because people are not 
paying attention to the local stuff. They're so subsumed by the headlines and Fox News and CNN and what's going on nationally, things that they cannot affect at all. They get so spun up about that that they're not paying attention to what's happening in their backyard. So we definitely need to do it. Uh, it's it's good, to, good to see it. All right. Well, Mike Shower, thanks, my friend. It was fun. We didn't get quite into the fun stuff uh, enough, but uh, maybe next week we'll plan out something. I don't know. We talk about movies or fun. You, you and I are always quoting movies back and forth together, so maybe we should do a movie segment or something just for fun. Um, to- we could we could talk some favorite movies. That'd be a good one. Uh, something, but you know, maybe ask the folks to say what do they want to hear us talk about, not political, and uh, we can dive into some topics. We yeah. can always go off. Yeah. Down a rabbit hole. That could be fun. It's always good to have like one segment to begin with and then just free form for the rest of the time. We could just do whatever we want. I love that. That'll be uh, that'll be a fun thing. All right. So Governor Mike Shower, I mean uh State Senator Mike Shower. <laughs> Michelle's gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give Michelle your address. You're in trouble, pal. She's gonna hunt me down and kill me. Uh anyway, thanks, my friend, for coming on board. I really appreciate it. See you guys. Have a good one. Yeah, you bet. All right, folks. Well, thank you for all the uh, thank you for all the B Day wishes. I appreciate that, and thanks for coming on board and joining us today. We'll uh, I'm gonna pull the plug and head on off. I got a bunch of stuff to do, so we are uh, we are we're in the in the run for today. We will see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. We'll see you later. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show